Welcome back to this episode of the Becoming Immune Confident Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Kara Wada, board-certified pediatric and adult allergy, immunology, lifestyle medicine physician turned autoimmune patient. I'm so excited to welcome back all of our returning listeners and hello to all of you who are new to the podcast. Today is a super special episode. We are airing a session that I gave at our Demystifying Inflammation Summit. It is all about how to harness healing through our habits using lifestyle as medicine. And really, this is geared for anyone who's ever found themselves feeling overwhelmed by the daily demands of life, wondering if you can find the time to focus on your health and your well-being. And the good news is there are simple, actionable steps that you can take to reclaim control over your health and nurture your body and mind. In this presentation, you are going to be guided through the essential pillars of lifestyle medicine, a field dedicated to using daily habits and practices to prevent and to treat diseases. I share my personal journey and the transformative power of embracing lifestyle as medicine, offering insights and strategies that are both practical and sustainable because really that is what we were all about in all things becoming immune confident. And if you are wondering, what is the Demystifying Inflammation Summit? So this transformative event took place back in fall, but we realized there are a ton of new followers and listeners, folks who are just learning all about the work we're doing through becoming immune confident. And so we are bringing back DIS 23 is an encore this weekend, January 26th to the 28th. If you missed it the first time or you're wishing you could revisit that wealth of knowledge that was shared, now's your chance. This is not just a repeat, but it's an enhanced journey into understanding and mastering your immune system health. We've listened, we've refined, and we're back with even more insights and expert wisdom. So join us for the encore of the Demystifying Inflammation Summit, a summit that has become a game changer for so many. We have a lineup of over 30 distinguished healthcare experts ready to delve deeper into the world of inflammation and immune system health, offering practical, understandable, and actionable insights. Seize this opportunity to be a part of the community that is rewriting the narrative on health and wellness. In order to sign up to get your free ticket, you can hop over to drkarawada.com. There's a little banner up at the top. You're going to click that. And you just need your first name and your email, and we will get you all signed up with your free ticket to this amazing event that is taking place January 26th to the 28th, so that you can embrace this chance to gain clarity, empowerment, and the tools to transform your health and your journey to a better understanding of inflammation and a healthier life that starts here and now in 2024. We are so excited for you to join us, but in the meantime, take a listen to this exciting session that it will be on day two of the Demystifying Inflammation Summit, and we can't wait to welcome you in to the DIS community, so take a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome to day two of the Demystifying Inflammation Summit, and 
what I am so excited to talk with everyone about today is essentially using lifestyle as medicine. And there actually is a specialty now that physicians and other healthcare professionals can become certified in called lifestyle medicine. I completed this training uh, almost two years ago, and I'm really excited at the potential and excited about some of the press lifestyle medicine has been getting lately. And we'll talk about that more as we jump in, but let's get started. For those of you who are just joining us, maybe we're just meeting Hello, my name is Dr. Carol Wada. I have worked in academic medicine in the Midwest for the last 13 years. Need to update that slide. And I have some additional training in medical education and as a life coach as well. And really, it was my own experiences of being diagnosed with an autoimmune condition about four and a half years ago, the same time my daughter was diagnosed with an anaphylactic reaction to eggs that I realized our family needed to make some changes. And really that was um, the real impetus for getting involved in what all of this would become. So here we are. My disclaimer, which got left out, although I am a physician in this role, in this capacity, I am not your physician. This is for educational purposes only. And in this session, we're going to understand the continued evolution of humans and diseases, why we are seeing changes in our health. We're going to learn the six pillars of lifestyle medicine and my interpretation of that, which are the five daily must-have habits for immune system health. So let's dive in. Oh, I did have the disclaimer in here. Got my slides confused. But anyways... When we talk about inflammation, which is what this whole summit is about, inflammation at its core is not actually harmful. It is how our body is programmed to respond to infection, to help fight things off, to help us heal, and to help us heal from injury, like when we get a paper cut or something along those lines. But when we have too much of it, sticks around for too long. It's like a house guest that needs to get out. This is where we have this insult category. So when we develop allergy, autoimmunity, auto-inflammatory conditions, dysmetabolism, so changes in our hormones and our metabolism, which we're going to hear more from Dr. Gibbs about, and dysbiosis, so changes in our gut microbiome, our skin microbiome, and increasingly learning about the role of our respiratory tract microbiome as well. So when these things stick around too long, we have problems. But at its core, our body is programmed to go back to homeostasis. This is that balance between protection and repair. And we never quite stay stagnant. We're always in flux. Stagnant is actually death. But this is where our body's always aimed to be. If we think back, we get back in our imaginary time machine, we go back maybe 20,000 years, our great-great-grandparents, they were living so much differently. Their lives look so much differently, so much different than our lives do today. We have all of our wonderful modern creature comforts. I have my warm tea right here. I have my clean filtered bottled water right here too. I am in a controlled 
environment inside my home. I have an upholstered chair I'm sitting on. Um, you know, all of these things. I have the screen. Goodness, I'm able to talk to you right now through this amazing thing called the internet, right? Our ancestors didn't travel very far. They were eating the things that were directly around them, things they were able to forage or hunt or fish in their local proximity. We also spent a heck of a lot more time outdoors. Now we spend greater than 90% of our time indoors. And we're generally a lot cleaner than we were back then. We're not getting infected with parasite infections. Thank goodness, right? But that means that the stimuli that our bodies are receiving on a day in and day out basis are very different too from the time before we're even conceived up until this moment we're here right now. Our bodies have been exposed and been have experienced a much different experience than even that of our grandparents or great grandparents. You don't even have to go those multiple generations back. And we really have seen this increase in the prevalence of allergies, autoimmune disease, and in particular, the emergence of conditions that are new to us, like things like eosinophilic esophagitis, mast cell disorders, hyper-eosinophilic syndrome. These things were not as much of a thing generations before. They were case reportable. Now EOE is something that affects about one in 100 people quite prevalent. And this has all coincided with this rapid change in our lived experiences, in particular in our diet. And when we look at a snapshot of the change in our diet from the early 1900s to the early 2000s, we see that the diet is now 63% comprised of processed foods. Now, this is my disclaimer that not all processed food is bad and we're not going to villainize things, but you can imagine that this is a huge change from when there really wasn't much processing that could be done aside from maybe fermentation, things of, of that sort a couple hundred years ago. Only 6% of our calories come from unprocessed plants. Whereas you think back to our cave people days, we were gathering all those roots and tubers and greens and berries seasonal fruits, honey, the sorts of things, right? Our oil intake has increased considerably, over 70 pounds per year, and our sugar intake has increased even more dramatically. If you've ever read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, so the Little House on the Prairie books, if you go back to that first book, Big House in the Little Woods, Laura Ingalls Wilder is four and she is so excited when it's time to tap the maple trees because that's really the only time of year this little kiddo is going to get to eat candy, maple candy, maple syrup, these things that we just take for granted going into our cupboard and getting a piece of candy or a cookie or um, a little sweet treat. But these were extraordinarily rare in years past. And near and dear to my heart as a lifelong Midwesterner, I grew up about five minutes from the Wisconsin state border. Our cheese intake is about 25 pounds per year. And I do wonder if that is a little bit higher from where I'm from. With all of these changes, with the changes in our diet, our activity level, our being inside more than outside, all these different things, we have seen our healthcare needs evolve along with that as well. 
the leading cause of death in the United States. And then these statistics remain pretty consistent, even uh, though they are 20 plus years old. Heart disease, cancer, and stroke are those top causes of death. But when we look under the hood, what's driving those causes? It's tobacco use, it's poor diet and inactivity, and it's alcohol consumption. And that alcohol consumption actually has risen, especially in the wake of the pandemic, because it's how so many of us, myself included, were dealing with that increased stress. So what is lifestyle medicine? It is the discipline of studying how our daily habits and practices impact both prevention and treatment of disease. And it's often used in conjunction or along with pharmaceutical or surgical therapy to provide an overall important adjunct for our health. So it's used along with, not either or, but and. And I think that's what's so important because really that's when we can see the synergy or when the sum is greater than the parts. Why? Why should we bother? Our genes are not our destiny. Experts will estimate that only about 10% of our health status is actually explained by the sequence of our DNA. Instead, certain things that we're exposed to are exposome the viruses we fight off, the food we eat, the air pollution we're surrounded by, the trauma we might experience, our neighborhoods, these sorts of things will turn on and turn off the expression of those genes or may turn up or turn down the volume of their expression. These are called epigenetics. And these changes can occur throughout our lifespan and actually can be passed on to our children as well. So where do we intervene? Where do we maybe make some of these changes? And how can lifestyle medicine fall into this paradigm? It can fall in anywhere along the way. If you think of our looking at a whole population of people, the whole globe, we're looking at who's at greater risk. Are we going to detect things earlier? Are we going to intervene earlier? Lifestyle modifications typically are thought to be an early intervention or prevention, but they also can be something called secondary prevention. This is a way to decrease additional problems from occurring later on. So for me, as an autoimmune patient, someone with systemic Sjogren's, that is whole body inflammation, because my immune system has seen parts of itself as no longer safe, that puts me at higher risk of heart disease. So what are some of those things that I can do through lifestyle to turn down the risk of those secondary problems? So that would be secondary prevention. Other things that we may see along the way that may or may not fall under the umbrella of lifestyle medicine, but are adjacent, are how can we change our environment? Will our genetic profile come into play where we provide a blood sample and it tells us, oh, we should do this, that, or the other thing? Are there particular biomarkers or particular blood markers or other data points that we may able, be able to take to then inform what we should be doing? And there are so many really cool things in the pipeline that are looking at this and a lot that is maybe not quite ready for prime time yet.
but we're getting there. And it's a really exciting time to see the role of personalized medicine. All right, so if you are not familiar with the Blue Zones yet, I would love for you to hop onto Netflix or pop over to a friend's house that has Netflix because in the last uh, month or so, there has been debuted a new documentary series, Live to 100, and it is all about the Blue Zones. So Dan Butner is a National Geographic Research Fellow he has gone all over the globe and in particular to these five locations where the most people live the longest, healthiest lives. It's the health span. How long are we healthy? These folks are living healthy lives well past 100 at much greater numbers than the rest of the globe. And so Dan went and he went with his team and they looked to see what was the secret sauce? What are these things that are really helping these individuals live these amazing, long, healthy lives? And they came across about these different pillars that we're going to dig into. So this is what the little icon looks like if you want to go check it out. It is uh, four hour long episodes. It's super inspiring. It's beautiful to watch because these locations are stunning. And it's just, it's good, positive TV, which is sometimes hard to find nowadays. So really what it comes down to, these are the pillars that we learn in lifestyle medicine. And so we're going to go through each of these. And I'm going to share my little spin on it because I love a good mnemonic. And so let's jump in. These are not going to be super surprising to any of you, but what I hope to do is to inspire you to start taking action, to find one or two that you think that you might benefit from really incorporating into your everyday doing and just get into that taking the next best step forward with whatever bandwidth you have. Time, energy, money, those are all things that are our limitations. But if we can just keep taking that next little step forward that keeps our trajectory moving and is so important. And makes a difference because it really is these small 1% improvements over time that completely change the trajectory and the destination of where we end up. All right, so let's hop in. This is my call to skip the bad diets and just get some more plants in your diet. Only one in 10 Americans eats the recommended amount of fruits and veggies daily. So it's time to skip the latest fads and just make science and sustainable the new sexy. And the reality is I talk about this a little bit in my non-tox talk, but if the national population, if half of the population ate one more serving of fruits and veggies a day, even conventional veggies, we would have a significant drop, like hundreds of thousands of cases less of cancer each year just by increasing our servings by one per day. So the small changes really do make a difference. All right, so let's hop into the five daily must-have habits for immune system health. And we're gonna go through each of these specifically. The first is meal management. Second is mind time. Move your body, meaningful moments, and mandatory me time. 
told you, I love a good acronym. It, it helps our brains remember things when we use some of these little tricks. And for me, using alliteration is uh, a, a big one. Always has been. All right. So meal management is the idea that we are going to use our human, the most human part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex to plan ahead. So I love this analogy that the human brain is actually a lizard brain with a monkey brain with a human brain on top. And so when we are stressed, when we go into that fight or flight, freeze or fawn response, when we become activated, especially when we're hungry or we're tired or we're hurting, our lizard brain kicks in. And for me, I don't know about you, I tend to get pretty hangry. And when I'm hangry, I am not able, and this is pretty much across the board, I've yet to find anyone that is 100% on this, but our hangry brain is going to crave sugar, salt, and fat. These were the things that were going to keep our prehistoric us alive, right? So that's why we crave those things. So... If we are able to make decisions for somewhere around 80 to 90% of the food we're going to eat in a week ahead of time, we get to take back a little bit more control and put that in the control of our human selves, the selves that knows what our bodies need, like our future us needs, rather than turning it over to hangry lizard brain. What does that mean? It means you get to eat what you like. You get to be curious about trying new foods that may be anti-inflammatory and making a concerted effort to try those in a given week. You get to decide what your nutritional goals are for the week. And you also get to be mindful of sprinkling in some diversity because we know that diversity, especially as it comes to our plant-based foods, is really the key in improving our gut health. And good gut health is associated with decreasing our excess inflammation and helping our immune system health over the long term. So what are we aiming for with diversity? We're aiming for 30 different types of plants in a week. I know what you're thinking. It's a lot of freaking plants, right? Here's the deal. It's all the plants. It's not just fruits and veggies. It's whole grains. It is seeds and nuts, as long as you're not allergic. It's herbs and spices. It's all the different types of legumes. One little trick that our family uses, planning 80 to 90% of your food intake, it doesn't need, need to be that you're cooking all of it either. Sometimes what our family will do is we may have a particular day where life is totally chaos and we just need to pick up takeout and that's fine. So we'll plan ahead and think, okay, oh, we're going to go to this Mediterranean place. In particular, it's, it's like Chipotle for Mediterranean food. I can get about 20 different types of plants in a bowl. It's affordable. It's delicious. I get a, a really anti-inflammatory packed dinner in one sitting and uh, it's delicious and I didn't have to worry about it. And that takes care of about two thirds of the diversity I might need for the week, right? So there are some ways that we can get creative where this does not have to look like you slaving over the stove or in the kitchen all week long. 
I know I love cooking and I could not do that. All right. And we're going to talk more about that during our bonus day. Stay tuned. We'll have some more info at the end about how to join us for that. But I'm going to really dig into how we can use our prefrontal cortex to plan ahead and how that can look different for each and every one of us. Mind time. So our brains are beautiful, elegant, complex, amazing organs. They're also metabolically very active. They use a ton of energy. The reality is our brains, especially through our modern education system, get an incredible workout day in and day out using what we call our left side of our brain, our logical side of our brain. This is the part that loves like to-do lists and loves like um, getting things done. It's logical. It puts things in order. But we have a whole other untapped side of our brain, this right side of our brain. This is the part of our brain that thinks in parallel. It houses empathy. It allows us to connect with other human beings. It allows us to think more expansively. And modern day life and education and what we do, it's not working out that right side of our brain. And that is where things like meditation, journaling, prayer time, if you like self-coaching and journaling or gratitude practice, having some mindfulness time, maybe incorporate some mind time with movement time and you have a yoga practice. Any of these things that is allowing your self just to be, to experience some of this white space or the quiet and be in that present moment is vitally important. And that's why tomorrow is going to focus a lot on building some skills that are going to help you practice this. You know, one of the biggest misconception I, misconceptions I hear, and I've heard it from my mom more times than I like to count, is I don't know how to meditate. I don't do it right. There's no such thing. You can't do it wrong. It's really just bringing awareness to the moment. And we're going to dive all into it with uh, a few of our speakers tomorrow. So stay tuned. And if this is something you struggle with, make sure to tune in to some of those talks tomorrow. They are going to be really helpful. Okay. So you're going to aim for about 20 minutes per day. That's what the data would say would be that sweet spot. Enough to get some good effect but also who has time for doing this all day long? Sometimes I wish I did. There's other ways we can support our brains too. So sleep, it's huge. Cognitive behavioral therapy. So going to therapy, learning mindfulness-based stress reduction. We talk about that with some of our speakers later this week too. Self-compassion practices. We have a whole session on that. And then challenging our limiting beliefs, which comes up so often, especially when we have a diagnosis that puts us in this frame of mind of, oh gosh, we are no longer healthy. We are sick. What does that mean? And our brain lot, likes to tell us lots of stories about what that means. And they're just stories. All right. So moving our body. I'm going to move a little bit now because I've been sitting all day between recording this and on Zooms, recording some other amazing sessions for y'all. Here's the thing. Some is better than none. Do what you can. Now, the data would say from lifestyle medicine that aiming for about 150 minutes of moderate exercise, so a little bit of working and a little bit shorter breath, is going to be very beneficial. That's where you hit 
the high point in regards to the bang for your buck. If you are someone who is a little bit more fit, you like doing a little more intense working workouts, like hit type workouts, it's 75 minutes per week. But really what I want to drive home is aim for movement that generally feels good. When we look at the blue zones, folks aren't like going to the gym with the exception of maybe the folks out in Loma Linda, California. These folks are just incorporating movement into their everyday lives. They're gardening, they're walking places. They are doing things by hand, kneading bread, doing things the old fashioned way. And in doing so, they're just moving more naturally throughout the day. One of the anecdotes from Okinawa, Japan is they have very little furniture in many of their homes. So they're getting up and down from the floor, strengthening their core, their hip muscles, their hip flexors, all of those things, um, maintaining balance, which is so important as we age because we know how many people suffer falls. Broken hips, it's something we always fear for grandma and increasingly as we get closer for ourselves as well. And it's so important if we are dealing with pain to, and I will say if you're dealing with pain, but also I am a elder millennial. I grew up in the prime of diet culture, in workouts that had to be punishing in order to be worthwhile. And the reality is if we overdo it, that is inflammatory in a bad way. So exercise stimulates controlled inflammation. We don't want to overdo it. If you are someone who suffers from something like fibromyalgia or POTS or another condition that has a tendency where if you overdo it, you're really paying for it in the days and weeks after, you don't want to push yourself that much further. You want to play around with just finding that limit where you are pushing yourself a bit but you're not feeling like absolute trash the days following. This isn't punishing. This is a love letter to your joints, your muscles, your bones to help you stay strong, to help them stay lubricated, to keep you moving because our bodies were meant to move. But when we push ourselves to the brink or we push ourselves into more pain, that is going to signal the alarm bells of danger. And we want to minimize those. Because dangerous signals increase inflammation. They throw off our hormone balance. No good. All right. Said my piece. <laughs> Meaningful moments. I think this is really challenging. We have so many competing demands for our time. Increasing, I realize how much this little um, bad boy gets in the way of things, especially as I'm you know, trying to stay connected with business and work and being on call and these sorts of things. But finding these little pockets of time to have meaningful human-to-human -human connection is incredibly powerful. When we look across the blue zones, the role of having loving partnerships, engaging with our families or our greater communities, our small circles of friends, so important. And then taking those moments to have that little bit extra connection. Ideally, again, aiming for about 20 minutes a day. So maybe that's lingering in a hug with your partner. I have to, I tease my husband. I'm like, no, we're not done yet. Aiming for 60 seconds. 
stare into the eyes of your little kiddos. Do your best to to carve out some moments. Our, my kiddos are still pretty young. Thankfully, we don't have activities um, that are interfering with our, our evening meal. And so my husband and I really have made a concerted effort to leave our phones away from the table. After I take a little snapshot of whatever I've made for dinner to share with you on social, then we try to put it away. And the other place it shows up in our family is bedtime stories, that five or 10 minutes just to really have that time and space to give your full attention to that other human. This also can be with yourself too. So giving yourself a high five is another way to just sprinkle this in throughout your day. It's a fun way to start your day. Uh, Mel Robbins is a motivational speaker, coach. She has a whole book on the role of giving yourself high fives and it's pretty, it's pretty fun. All right, this is my absolute favorite. And I will say this has been, I think the hardest, biggest lesson I've had to learn as a mom, doc, autoimmune patient. It's realizing that self-care is self-preservation. It is not selfish. And it doesn't have to look like this lady in the bath with the book, although that looks glorious if you ask me. What, what can this look like? Really, it is a time for you to refill your cup. So take a few minutes, even after this session, take a few minutes and think. What recharges my batteries? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, and jot those things down. And then you can even do a little time audit. How often am I getting to do these things? My therapist pointed this out to me in the last couple of months. I had mentioned that for me, Reiki is one of the most relaxing experiences I've had in my life. And I've written and shared a little bit about this, but it is a place in a space where I can just reach this very deep meditative state where I just feel total ease. And for me, that has felt incredibly healing. I don't understand all of it, but I found that to be incredibly beneficial personally. And I also had mentioned though, it had been probably 18 months or so since I had scheduled an appointment. And she said, why? I said, that's a really good question. And so I, I went ahead and, and scheduled and here I am a couple, few months out and actually pursued level one certification in it. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be able to incorporate this more into my routine at home as well. This is your call to your reminder of here is one way to provide some love and care to yourself. And to also learn to trust yourself and a reminder that it is not selfish because by taking care of yourself, you are better able to take care of others. You are also modeling this behavior for those around you as well, which is just as important. All right, so here's the deal. None of this stuff is new. Maybe a few tips or things that ways that I've done things that are said a little bit differently. And each and every one of you listening here is really smart, right? But being smart and being here doesn't solve the problem, right? The problem is we have to take consistent action. And that lizard brain, monkey brain, human brain, it has other ideas in mind. 
as I mentioned, the brain takes a ton of energy, right? And if you are trying to build a new habit, you are building a new pathway in your brain. So instead of using that super highway to get around town easily, you are like back on the Oregon Trail, forging the river. It's a new thing. It's much harder. And so you're always going to run into some resistance. So it can be really helpful to use how our brains are built and structured to our advantage. So there are a couple of resources I love recommending. Atomic Habits by James Cleary and uh, Tiny Habits by BJ Foggs. Both are great books. You can probably pick one or the other. Don't necessarily need to read both unless you totally nerd out about this stuff like I do. These are take-on points from Atomic Habits. Some really good, just quick and easy ways to get started. If you want to incorporate a good habit, make it obvious, make it really attractive, make it easy on yourself, and make it really satisfying. Those are some ways that you are going to help get through that resistance. Now, trying to break a bad habit, you got to get it out of sight. You got to make it look like absolute trash and hard and unsatisfying. How does that look with breaking bad habits? We had a candy bowl last fall filled with delicious options after trick-or-treating. First of all, I took all the good stuff and I took it to work after my kids had some treats. So I got all of the satisfying and attractive options out of the house. I moved the remnants up to a cupboard that required me to get a stool to get into it. So it was harder. And it also had closed doors. So it was invisible. So it wasn't just plain sight. Contrary, if you're trying to incorporate more fruits and veggies, maybe that nice looking apple there, having it right front and center when you open the fridge can be really helpful buy some pretty things. Or even I bought some, we were switching over to the glass storage containers. And so I bought some that were attractive. So it looks nice when they're all cut up and prepped. So it's prepped, it's easy to go. And over time, our taste buds will adjust to being more satisfying too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Demystifying Inflammation Summit and Becoming Immune Confident. We are so excited to welcome you to the Encore, so make sure to hop over to drkarawada.com. Click on that banner up at the top in order to get your free ticket to this amazing event. With this summit, we really set out to answer some of the questions that I hear so often when I am talking with my patients and my clients. One of those questions is why does modern life seem to be making us sicker? I know that you are diligently trying to keep you and your family healthy, but the challenges seem never ending. Allergies, asthma, autoimmunity, or even just not feeling great, but not having a diagnosis to know what is causing your symptoms. There is a secret thread going through all of the diseases we see in modern living, and that is understanding inflammation. Imagine unlocking the secrets to better health, not just for you, but for your entire family. The Demystifying Inflammation Summit Encore brings you that key. It's not just about coping with symptoms, it's about a deep dive into the causes and finding real, sustainable solutions. So if you are curious to learn more, you can hop over to drkarawada.com, click on that top banner and claim your free ticket. 
and spot at the Demystifying Inflammation Summit Encore. There you will be treated to an enlightening event and really step into a world of health empowerment. And we can't wait to welcome you there. Until next week, take care and be well. If you are loving this mix of self-discovery and science found here on the Becoming Immune Confident podcast, I'd love to invite you to sign up for my email list. Hop over to drcarawada.com and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any insights into new immune system science or how we can harness healing through our daily habits. Are you ready to feel confident, energized, and more like that BA that you used to be? Here's how we can work together. Jennifer, an autoimmune dietitian, and I, board-certified immunologist, have put together the one and only Becoming Immune Confident comprehensive course, coaching, and community membership. What we do is we help women with misbehaving immune systems reclaim control over their health while minimizing fatigue, fog, and pain, all caused from too much inflammation. So if you are ready to have confidence and clarity around your immune system health, and a sense of certainty, knowing that you are doing the best for your health and the health of your family, hop over to immuneconfident.com for details on how we can work together. We can't wait to connect. Hey there, amazing listeners. Before we wrap up today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to ask for your support. If you're enjoying the content of the Becoming Immune Confident podcast we're bringing you week after week, There's a simple but incredibly impactful way you can show your appreciation. You see, leaving a review is like giving us a virtual high five, and it helps our podcast reach even more people who could benefit from the valuable insights, entertainment, and inspiration we strive to provide week after week. So if you're finding value in what you hear, here's what you can do. Open up your podcast app, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform, and give us a glowing five-star review. We're dedicated to bringing you the best and your feedback helps us fine-tune our content to suit your interests and needs. But hey, don't stop there. If you have a moment, leaving a few kind words in the review section goes a long way too. Share what you love about the podcast, your favorite episodes, or how it's made a positive impact on your life. Your words not only brighten our day, but they also encourage others to join our incredible community. Remember, every five-star review and every word of encouragement counts. It's like fuel to keep us creating, innovating, and striving to make your listening experience even better. So if you're up for it, show us some love by leaving us that virtual high five in the form of a five-star review today. And a huge shout out to all of you who have already taken the time to do so. You rock. Thank you for being a part of our podcast journey, and we can't wait to keep bringing you more amazing episodes in the future. Until next time, keep shining and keep listening and keep on building that confidence in yourself and your immune system health. Take care.